the great thing about studies is it's like one step in a really long research project. Um, and so it would be like if you were like looking at a statue and like you finish the face and the face is like really important and it's really detailed and it's really interesting, but you kind of zoom out and like the rest of the body hasn't been shaped yet. And it's like on its own, it, it can kind of stand when you look at it on its own, but it's, you need like full perspective to run, understand like, well, this is a really important part. It's not the only part. Welcome to The Mock-Up, official podcast of the Migration and Critical Health Research Group at York University in Toronto. By chatting with new and experienced researchers and professionals in the area, we explore their personal journeys and the important work they do, what it is, why it is, and how it came to be. Uh, my name is Michael Ruderman, and with us as always is producer Ben Stevenson, uh, off mic over here. Yeah, maybe a bit of a disclaimer is there are forest fires happening kind of far away, but yeah. the wind has carried the smoke over here so if we cough or have to clear our throats or anything like that that would be the reason yeah um but yeah uh, that said today we're welcoming an undergraduate member of the mock team i guess a newly graduated member in a yes. week or so is yeah, that right in a week it'll i tell people i'm not graduated yet because until i see that diploma i don't believe it absolutely this is orly aziza welcome orly thank you for having me on now, to start off, I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I'm graduating um, York University. I grew up in Thornhill. Uh, I enjoy running. I enjoy painting. Um, I have loved doing research with the mock-up, with the team. It has been a really positive experience. Um, and I've really actually enjoyed my four years here at York, despite the massive disruption that was COVID-19 to my education. So. Right. Yeah, it's easy to forget that. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it feels like it's sort of calcified in my mind as something that I'm beyond now. But then when I start thinking about it, I'm like, it's still kind of raw and I haven't processed all of that, I don't there, think. I saw like an interesting post on social media that was like, you know, a good profession to go into right now is mental health because in four to five years, we're all going to have like a lot of stuff to process because nah. <laughs> right now we're just still kind of sitting with it. Yes, and I think that's true. Memories of COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people have kind of like put it in the back of their minds um, as something that they're not thinking about. And I think because it was so, it was like a traumatic for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's easy to joke about, but it was, it's a lot. It yeah. was a lot. Um I'm actually working on a project that's going to be starting, uh, I guess, in the fall. Um, I'll just be a research assistant on it. It's about COVID and long-term care. Um, yeah. And, I mean, the stories that, that uh, we come across are just so horrific that uh, yeah. uh, it really um, reminds you of those, of those years that, yeah, I just kind of put behind me. It's like all these things that I never thought about like feasibly thought about because I had never first of all experienced a pandemic but I was thinking I was like oh I hate learning online I hate all this and then I would see all this stuff about like domestic abuse shooting up during COVID-19 you know substance use shooting up during COVID-19 mm. I'm like oh there are so there's so many like layers to how you know how much this is taking a toll on people's mental health and education so on that cheery note um, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> not at all um yeah well i was kind of curious what drew you to psychology in the first place now i know we first met i was your ta yeah a, a year or so ago and it was always a pleasure to read your work I, whenever an assignment came and it's Thank like oh you. it's early yay 
Um, and your final assignment was a podcast, yeah, which I, was great. I loved that class. It was actually one of my favorite classes. I was in it with a couple of friends of mine, and we were always like so excited to be like to start on. Oh, nice. That um, was critical thinking in yeah. psychology. Yeah. It was just, yeah, it really changed the way I thought about like read articles and such. I think York is doing a really good job within its psychology department of like critical thinking and like evaluating um, you know, narratives and kind of how to interpret things and, you know, qu the faults in quantitative and qualitative data. I, like I did get that a lot throughout my undergrad in research methods and stats and a lot in critical thinking and yeah. psych. And I was really impressed with it because, you know, the, everyone was super open. Like we've had a replication crisis. We've had like issues with, you know, all of this and we need to, in order to move forward from that, we need to ingrain in our education kind of that critical lens to all research. So I was impressed. <laughs> Oh, good. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's funny. York always has had a reputation or so I've heard about being sort of the groovy school, like kind of, you know, like it's a little more progressive and thoughtful and critical. I think uh, that criticality is what drew me to the school. It's what I love about the school. Right. Right. And so I actually started off in a biology, like in biology as an undergraduate, and I switched after my first year. Uh, I think like in high school, I was interested in health and I was just kind of like, you know, when you're like interested in like health and all that and people are just like, okay, go into, go into biology. Yeah. And like I was, you know, younger and like, I don't like, it's not like a flaw in anybody, but it, yeah. So I went into biology. I really liked it. Like I, I enjoyed the classes. I enjoyed biochem, all of that. But I really, what I really was interested in is um, people. And as I got like a little bit more into all this, I was interested in this in high school, but like, you know, um, like the mind and how people think about things. Mm. And again, so this like critical health research was actually really an intersection of two things that I was really, really interested in when I was like, you know, in my undergraduate degree. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Do you feel like your psychology degree um, generally did give you that um uh, did teach you about people. Do you feel like it, it accomplished that or was it not I, what you were expecting? I really did think about that. Like I've always wanted to go into healthcare. That mm. is, you know, I'm going to medical school, um, but I I wanted to know kind of the back, like I, I took a few courses. I'll put it this way. I took a few courses uh, like, like, and now it's, I think it's changed the name, but the time it was called abnormal psychology, like health psychology. Mm -hmm. And it really, like, those were courses that I sat down. And I was like, everyone in medical school should be required to take these as a course. Because if you don't have a context, if you don't have the context that people are living in, the the troubles they're dealing with, both mentally and socially and physically, you're not going to be a good healthcare provider. Mm. And so I was really like, you know, the way you treat somebody who has a mental health disorder is not going to be the same way you treat somebody who doesn't have that mental health disorder. And so, like, especially after abnormal psychology, I was like, wow, this should be required, oh, yeah. required reading, required classes that you have to take. It was just, yeah. So I, I went into it with the lens of, like, how is this going to make me a better healthcare provider? And so I think I, like, looked at a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, that's a that's beautiful. I totally agree. I feel like the, um, you know, the the psyche, the mind, yeah. is this uh, impossible, inextricable entanglement of our physical bodies, uh, our emotions. I guess our interpersonal relationships, even the wider culture. Yeah. And without a rich understanding of all those things, of a of a, a patient or someone you're working with as a as a healthcare professional, you maybe have an incomplete picture of it, right? Yeah. I think something else that shocked me was like how broad psychology really is. Like mm. I learned a lot about like biological basis of like behavior, which is like a course here, but also like a general discipline and also like social stuff. What I feel like that is extremely helpful in both ways again, like, and I think I didn't realize how broad psychology was when I switched into it, which I'm really glad for because I got to explore a lot of different things. 
which, yeah, so that was something that surprised me about being in psych. Did you take any other uh, courses from any other disciplines? I know you said you started with bio, but then is it just psych all the way, I guess, from there? Um, I took an English course this past year. I actually okay. really liked it. It's called Literature and Health, but yes. very f- I'm very focused. Um, I took... I took, yeah, I took, all, I took bio courses like in my first year and in my second year, um, some chemistry courses as well. Um, I took a Nats course. Um, yeah. Nice. A, lo- a lot more leaning towards science, but I think the literature and health course actually put me back in like kind of the humanita- like the humanities view of like, first of all, education and second mm-hmm. of all, um, yeah, like health, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. So why don't we turn to the MOC team? I'm curious how you got involved in the first place with the Migration and Critical Health team. Yeah, uh, like I said, I was really interested in health research um, and, you know, kind of public health and like, you know, perceptions of of health and especially amongst, you know, marginalized communities. Um, and also I love Dr. Hineo. <laughs> like I loved her so much, like in my class. And I liked, um, I liked I liked her teaching style. I liked her mentoring style. So I found when I found out that she was in charge of the critical health um, and uh, migrational studies um, research pod mock team, I was like really excited to do the research with her. I'd been doing research prior and I really enjoyed that research as well. But mm. this it was more um, neurobiological research. Mm-hmm. And now I got a bit more into like kind of the social aspects of health, which was what we studied here. Yeah. And, and do a lot in this pod. Like I was so impressed with everybody's research. Like I was reading up on all that. Um, yeah. So I love Dr. Hinea. I liked I was interested in the stuff that she was researching. So I kind of just reached out and she knew who I was already. So. It was a really good match. I reached out to her very last minute um, because I wasn't like I kept going back and forth about if I in my last semester of my last year, like do I want to do an IRP, which I've never done before. Um, and then I decided like, yes, this is for me and I will be doing it. So I reached out to her very last minute, like in December. And she was so good about that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when in Rome, like make the most of your time. Exactly. Here kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. That's great. I'm really curious about the difference between you said you did some research in neuro. Yeah, the more biological, psych. yeah, psychological um, studies, and and this is more, I guess, um, social, even transdisciplinary in some ways. Yeah. There's a lot of geography mm-hmm. um, uh, in in what we do, and and uh, yeah. So I'm just curious about um, the difference between those two experiences. I think they're very different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the like I had great supervisors in both. Um, I just yeah, they're very different. Um, Neuropsychology, at least from my experience, again, I was just an undergrad doing research there um, and helping with research is probably the more appropriate term. Um, And it's much more quantitative. Right. Just way more quantitative. Um, I think that's like the biggest difference. Um, And yeah, and the and we seem to focus more a lot on qualitative work, which follows, you know, considering I I knew that was an interest of Dr. Hanea's. yeah, like it's it's really it's the difference between like a social kind of almost like a social psychology area versus like a neuropsychology area. And like those two things are drastically different. Um, but like, you know, both teams were extremely supportive. So I like felt that that was very right, <laughs> unifying yeah. on both of those ends. So, yeah, just like, yeah, much more quantitative work, a lot more coding, I think, of, of in my neuropsych lab that was a lot that was a huge shift for me i came into psychology not knowing that you had to code yes okay so not <laughs> expecting the the mathematical computer literacy that was required but it was it wasn't just me like everybody was like learning mm-hmm. how to code and um i was speaking to my friend in bio who stayed in bio we actually entered it together and he said like 
yeah, I've never had to code ever, ever, ever. Um, and maybe hmm. it's just because he like chose areas that he didn't have to code, but I was shocked. I was like, that's like a STEM, more STEMI, quote unquote, um, field that <laughs> you don't have to code, but I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's something that also surprised me. <laughs> but I'm curious if I get when you got involved with the mock team. Um, yeah, you were saying you found it really interesting. Was it? Uh, I guess I'm curious about the undergraduate experience of, of volunteering for a lab. It's been a long time since I've been in that position, and I know it's changed over the years. I do feel. Uh, I guess it depends very much on who's running the lab. Yeah. But did you feel supported? Did you feel a little lost or confused as to exactly what was going on or what you were going to do? Could you speak a little to that? I felt less lost just because our, a lot of our undergrad focuses on research. But I have mm. to say with these search terms, I was like, wow, I've never done this this systematically before. Well, could you could you uh, say something about that? So the cert, like for my research paper, I had to like research kind of like scoping review I had to use search, like use search terms within databases. So that meant like nested language almost. So you had like mm. the keywords, you had the mesh titles, and then you had to combine the keywords and the mesh titles to kind of get all of the things that fell under your umbrella. Um, and it was fun. It was like a puzzle, but it was also like, wow, I've never done this on my own before. Like I've used like, you know, in, in undergrad, you mostly are just like, I'm going to go on psych info and I'm going to like type things in and see what happens. And um, but this was like Medline and um a bet what's it called oh. ovid or uh, is that one uh, ovid is like publishes mm. medline and then also um Sinal, you know all of these databases and like our our librarian elo who was very very helpful and worked with me very well um was like helping me build it i was like i've never had any experience in this and that was like kind of overwhelming um yeah so that was that was like a very big change i think as from an undergraduate what they expect of you from an undergraduate level for the most part is just like be able to use like psych info pretty proficiently um and so like kind of like stepping that up when you're doing something like this was that was a change that was like yeah. very it was good but i felt like i was really really supported like dr hinea elo like everyone else like i i think i can i i conferred with rand a little bit about my search terms and that was all yeah, everyone was super helpful. I like I have a really positive I have had a really positive experience here. That's so great. Yeah. It's funny the search terms are it seems like um it wouldn't be such a thing, but it, I think down the road hopefully it saves time if you learn exactly sort of how to structure a search in a database to retrieve exactly the kinds of articles you want to yeah. write exactly the kind of piece you want. Um but it can be uh very confusing, which I think is um sort of mysterious to people who've never tried us who you know we just use google and everyone knows how to use a, mm -hmm. a search engine but then when it comes to to these kind of complicated terms and yeah as you say nesting terms it can be really difficult yeah yeah oh yeah i always i, I i'm always curious if you have any advice to people who run labs now that you've had two it sounds like two great experiences with with people running a lab um any advice for how they should work with volunteers in the lab um so i think that for the most part, like, I think the thing that has made the most difference to me personally mm. is the idea that, like, just, like, I'm going to feel so, like, silly or stupid for, like, not knowing how to do something, even though, like, again, this is my first, like, it'll be my first research experience or uh, it's my first time venturing in and just being, like, making, communicating for sure, because both of my supervisors really did this, um, any questions, there are no bad questions, this is, a, like, this is a new experience, um, you're not incompetent for not knowing how to do it sure. just kind of like really expressing that because I felt like pretty comfortable reaching out to both supervisors when I had issues 
Um, and it's like, yeah, Dr. Hanea got like a bunch of questions for me. Whenever we would meet, I would, um, I would like, I would ask her like, I'm like, I found this article, but it's kind of like, I don't know if it should count. And I, I was, and she did always a really good job of being like, yeah, like it's always confusing, you know, makes sense that you, that you're not sure. Um, and so just communicating that like, there's this understanding that people aren't, especially undergraduates aren't coming in with like a wealth of knowledge, hmm. Um, about how to do research then they're coming in to do to learn how to do research and that's just communicating that with them i know that like many supervisors probably know that implicitly but like just being very overt because people people like me i'm just like really nervous (laughs) like they 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 are worried on a level that like they're not where they're supposed to be at absolutely yeah i remember um even coming in as a master's student Mm because i'd taken some time between my undergraduate and and master's degree um also being like I have so many questions about kind of everything. It's not even like, it's just about one domain. It's like, why are we doing this? Or like, what is this? Um, So it can be really uh, useful to have someone who's just okay with those stupid questions and and helpful, yeah. Yeah, especially like the questions that are like, why is this even happening in the first place? Like kind of like the basis of some of the studies. You're like, why are we doing this? Yeah, those questions like come up and... And it's a hard thing to ask after someone's talked for a half hour about oh, their absolutely. thing. And then you're like, okay, that's great. But what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> and why? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't know the perspective of a master's student, but I, I can imagine that even more so. You're like, oh, I'm a master's student. I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. But like, do, like it's okay. Yeah, no, it's it, exactly. Everyone everyone has to learn it all, right? So, yeah. Um, why don't we turn to your project? You brought it up a few times, the scoping review. Um, so, yeah, maybe you could tell me a bit about it. Um, uh, so, yeah, what it was and, and, and why you did it. At first, it was kind of going to, we thought it might be like it, it exploring vaccine hesitancy within newcomer and immigrant populations. And then it kind of morphed into one. So like you kind of saw the literature, um, vaccine coverage and access and hesitancy uh, amongst newcomer and immigrant populations. Um, and it's, yeah, ex- essentially explores some of the barriers that may be present um, to like people who are not originally from Canada and have either migrated here a while ago or, you know, you know, are recent migrants or we wanted to get more data on undoc- undocumented people, but, you know, as they're undocumented and they might be, f- they might fear legal retribution. Um, and just, just seeing like, is there a more hesitancy and why that would be? And also what are some just general barriers to vaccine access for COVID-19? And, you know, what's the, what does the coverage look like? Because I feel like some media outlets, I don't I don't know if this is true for sure, but I, I feel like during this time, I, it was like, oh, this group of people is just not covered. And it was like an exploration of like, is that the case or is it not the case? Because I think like in some people's minds, like, oh, obviously vaccine, like newcomer and immigrant populations are going to be more vaccine hesitant, but that's not always the case. It, for, it depends so much on all these different factors. And that was the most interesting thing I learned from from this project was like you know it's really mixed um and it really depends on a lot of intersecting factors are they recent are they long term um do they speak the language um are they older you know because if even if they're recent and they and they're like an older immigrant um you know there are a lot of things that you know when you have a language barrier and you're older and so technology isn't as easy for you then that really increases the like the accessible like accessibility issues you know and potentially hesitancy if you're exposed to misinformation right i'm i'm really curious about why 
um, you know, about that shift that you said early on you made between just looking at vaccine hesitancy among newcomers to shifting it to also incorporating things like barriers and and um, yeah, inaccessibility for vaccines aside, in addition, I suppose, to the feelings of hesitancy. Right. Yeah. And the first thing was that I feel like when you, uh, we, I talked about this a little in my presentation to the research team, and it's like vaccine hesitancy puts a lot of the kind of responsibility on the person mm. who's not getting vaccinated. And so while there might be hesitant beliefs, there's also probably like some accessibility issues. Um, also, like a lot of the data talked about, you know, it's not just hesitancy, it's uh, fear of, you know, the healthcare system or, um, you know, not speaking the language. And that's not so much hesitancy as it is just an access issue. So that's a, when I read that, I was like, okay, this is more of an issue of not just hesitancy. It's and it's a it's like barriers to to access and just also exploring like even the idea like are newcomer and immigrant populations less covered by vaccines? Like are they are they taking it less? And that is what I wanted to explore from the get go. Also, like after after learning about all this, is like is this even true? Are they even less vaccinated? Because I think, you know, we went in a little bit with the assumption that, like, we had seen some stuff on media that, you know, maybe they were. Um, and when you read about it, there's no there's no consensus on it. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow, that is interesting. Because I, I, I feel like so much of our critical focus and critical education is about, yeah, like shifting from as you say, putting the responsibility on individuals, um, which kind of fed into, I think, the uh, rhetoric that was certainly happening at the time during COVID, which is if you're not vaccinated, you're uh, irresponsible or you're, um, you know, there's something about you particularly that is yeah. at fault. And I think that that is dangerous. And I think that, that maybe the focus on vaccine hesitancy sort of rhymes with that in a potentially dangerous way. So I do think it's a great idea to also focus at the, on these barriers yeah 100 yeah. percent. and and you yeah so you were mentioning that um you found that it might not even be the case that newcomers were less vaccinated yeah. was it different articles said different things yeah or was different it... different articles did said different things different reports released at different times said different things right. um there were like subgroups within Im immigrant populations that were less vaccinated but subgroups that were not less vaccinated and it was just kind of really mixed like mm. even within the same articles from time to time but like definitely between articles and gr pieces of great literature that we found um it it was like none there wasn't like a conclusion to that mm. and to that question wow and it, i think that says a lot for how these things were covered because i think i like you had heard a lot of media that that said the opposite or said that yeah. you know this is almost, this is facts. Uh, when when you dig a little deeper into the literature, maybe it's not. Yeah, I was speaking to someone relatively close to me and I like kind of, I said, I mentioned that I was doing this and they're like, oh, what's the research question? What's, what, what are you researching? And I said, oh, like whether newcomers or immigrants are more hesitant about getting the vaccine. And they're like, oh yeah, of course they are. And I was like, oh, well, we don't know actually. <laughs> and I think, yeah, based on media coverage maybe and other things, you know, we have this like assumption in our head. Um, and this person isn't like a, isn't a bad person. They don't tend to generalize. I think the assumption is that like, um, you know, in a way it is about the people do necessarily make the assumption about access, which is that, oh, like people who like may not have their ground set in Canada may hmm. not be as like willing to go get the vaccine right away. Um, but yeah, like there was just, we ha I think there was this underlying assumption that, you know, yeah, of course they are. I was like, oh, well, 
not really not necessarily i think right very cool um it sounds like really good work really enjoyed it i'm curious about how you got into the topic was it something that you were particularly passionate about or working with dr hinia did she help um sort of guide you to the topic she did help guide me but also when she kind of like brought up the idea like i said like my last my undergraduate degree like the COVID-19 shutdown happened when I was at like the end of my first year. Right. And then we only really opened back up kind of partially at the end of my third year, like and truly, truly in my fourth year. So it was a massive thing that like for me had disrupted so much of my university education. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I kind of do want to explore all of this. And I th I'm sure a lot of people feel like that. Like they're like, wow, this massive thing just happened to me. And I think, you know, it's really kind of beautiful that a lot of people are just like, okay, let's learn more about it. And that's what I felt. I was like, yeah, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to learn more about it. I also like in general, like researching about, you know, mar how to improve the healthcare system for marginalized people, um, and generally how to make it better for patients as a whole. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of when she suggested it, when she kind of guided me, we were like kind of bouncing back and forth ideas. I was like, yeah, that sounds really good. I really like that idea. Was there anything that guided you to that interest in, in um, increasing equity in healthcare? Is that something that you've had for a long time or did you have a particular mentor or teacher that led you there? Um, I think I've always been like, I, you know, I'm, I'm a woman and as such, um, I have like noticed inequities in the world. And I think from like kind of a youngish age it was kind of like okay like how do we fix it or what what else are we doing and as I like learned more about it and all these you know the intersectional identities that come and that bring on sometimes inequalities in healthcare, um I was like really interested in like fixing that and I've mm. always been interested in healthcare, so it was kind of the intersection of these two things and you know there are a lot of things that we can do to make, you know, patient experience, especially, for, again, like I said, for marginalized people better. Um, and I think we're working towards that. Um, and so I think it was a lot of like my own interest and a lot of the um, research and like stuff I learned in undergrad was like really intriguing and kind of guided me along to learn more about that. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. I also want to follow up. Um, it's come up a couple of times. And since we're talking about the vaccine and COVID-19 and um I'm curious about your experience of being an undergraduate student during that. Uh, you were saying it was disruptive. I mean, do you feel like you received a quality education that, during those years, or was it? Um, were there other things that sort of uh, are at the forefront of your mind when you say it was disruptive? I think, I I think I learned a lot from undergraduate, despite all of that. But mm. I think that there were definitely things that I got frustrated with in terms of receiving education. Like when I was taking organic chemistry, and I couldn't like it was like it was worse quality to me it like the teacher was doing a great job um it just felt like it was so frustrating to me because it was a hard topic to begin with and then I was kind of sitting at home a lot of the time trying to learn it and it was just kind of it wasn't clicking in my head I, I really I really liked being in person in university like my first year I was like I loved it I loved being here um and so it was really just frustrating like you know when things got hard it felt like it was 10 times harder because I was kind of like stuck in my house or you know I couldn't have that more I guess Again, like my teachers in general did a really good job of like trying to make it interactive, but like there's nothing that can kind of come close to really like seeing a teacher like do the things, being able to come up to them after class. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I agree. There were things for me, it was funny because there were some things that teachers um, did valiantly trying to engage their students, which actually ended up being more work than it used to be 
<laughs> uh, in terms of forums and um, commenting on other people's comments. And like for someone who can get kind of stressed trying to craft a great comment, if I know the whole class is going to see it and maybe read it, that actually becomes quite time intensive. And suddenly I'm doing so much more work. I'm trapped at home. And, you know, there's all these other things going on. So 100%. it's a lot of tough things. Yeah. So I think that was also a big frustration for me. Yeah. Like a, like forum stuff replaced a lot of the participation and there's also this phenomenon, like we all sat and we watched the same thing and we learned the same thing. So somebody will like make a really nice post and you're like, I have nothing to add to this. This is, we have the same knowledge base. I think we understand it the same way. It was like, oh, I, and you can't like quanti like qualitatively, you, you're supposed to give like kind of a more robust answer. And I was just sitting there being like, I have nothing more to say on the matter. You did a really good job. And that's all I could say. Um, and I, I understand like in real life you would like maybe, you know, answer to somebody and that would be, you would talk to them. But I think kind of structuring it, having it so structured um, in a lot of ways, it, it would brought a lot of good things. Like there was a lot of clarity about what you needed to do in order to, you know, succeed in the class. But also like it was kind of very like forced in some ways. Yeah, you're right. Like you're kind of just sitting there and you're like, what do I do? How do I make this perfect? And like, what do I, and you're kind of just lost. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Why don't we jump to um, this question? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious cause I know at the undergraduate level, sometimes you don't have a whole lot of control over the work you do. That'll depend on who you're working with. Yeah. Um, and that you, I guess, get to decide is who you choose to work with. Right. Um, but I'm curious if, uh, if you were going to go into research, like, would you have a dream project or a dream topic, something you're just passionate about studying that you haven't done? So when you sent me this question, I was like, I have, so when I, Sometimes when I go walking, I like have like ideas for studies I want to conduct. Yeah. Um, and but like as soon as I saw this question, I was like, my brain froze. Um, but generally, I think something I'm interested in is kind of two areas, mental health and like physical health, hmm. um, both areas of healthcare. Mental health as like an area of healthcare is something that we don't like necessarily always perceive it as. Um, so there's it's a little less explored through a healthcare lens, but um, kind of two things I'd be interested in understanding is, um, especially university students, what their perceptions of the health, mental health care supports that they have. So for instance, York has a phenomenal insurance plan. Fun fact. It's at least at the undergraduate level. I don't know about the, you know, postgraduate level, but, um, and it, it provides a lot in terms of mental health support. Um, and, but when you talk to people, they have no idea. It's like mm. this fee that's taken from them at the beginning of the year and they have no idea what, like what, what is available. And, like and again i don't know if it's like any i don't think it's anybody's fault but like you know what they perceive as their options for mental health care is very different from what their actual options are um and so kind of gauging especially like post-secondary students like across um across like different universities kind of gauging what they think their options are for mental health care and then comparing it to all of the things that are actually available to them and how what kind of depth of like you know treatment it is so some people need long-term therapy some people need just a short-term therapy mm. some people just need once like a one and done and just kind of exploring like what is offered to them for a minimal cost or like no cost because let's be real most people who are attending university are not necessarily in a position to pay a bunch of money even even if it is for the good of their own health um and kind of seeing yeah like what their perceptions are and then what their um what their options are and maybe that'll help help people shed a light like help schools maybe shed a light on the options students have with mental health care um a similar kind of study is um 
kind of physicians and patient perceptions of um, kind of pain and gynecological like um, it's called procedures. Mm-hmm. So I don't I, I I don't know if you've been seeing on social media. A lot of women have been coming forward being like an IUD insertion is like one of the most painful things I've mm-hmm. ever experienced ever. Um, and they're kind of like, is there anything we can do, um, to do, to like kind of fix that? And I want to see, like, first of all, I want to see based on like kind of demographic factors, if there are intersectional factors and patients' perceptions of what they're entitled to in terms of pain management. And then also physicians' perspectives about like what procedures would warrant pain management and also why just kind of getting an interest kind of, again, I, I, it's not necessarily to like blame anybody or anything but to just get like an idea of like where everyone's at and maybe seeing if there can be some sort of alignment yeah in that in that matter yeah i mean it's such a huge issue women's pain being ignored and especially in medical contexts i mean you hear it just all the time um uh, the women in my life going to the doctor saying i have this issue it's hurting and being dismissed for one reason or another my my classmates they they say like you know it's one of the like every time i go you know for these kind of checkups or whatever it's like kind of just very unpleasant for no reason like they feel like for no reason um and it's really interesting, um, kind of like I, I like, and I wonder, like, is there a reason that we're not give like people aren't given like anesthetic and, you know, that kind of thing for these procedures? And there might be, like, I might just not be aware of it. I'm not a physician, so, <laughs> you know, it's good to like you know learn about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, the first project too that you mentioned, um, I mean, it does seem like such a great uh, activist aim to to let everyone know what what their insurance does for them but it feels almost deliberately hidden sometimes doesn't it at least when i go in and try to access my insurance plan uh, as an employee at york university um it's just hard to maneuver and it feels like you know there are little ways that insurance companies get or you know try to manipulate people to not claim those benefits a hundred percent i think that that can be like i like i found that after i got used to my insurance uh, I was very easy, but like I would, I didn't necessarily know about it until someone like told me like, like, Psst, like York has really good mental health insurance. I was like, no way, because I, I knew that I had insurance through YFS, um, and I knew that I paid the fee, um, and I was just kind of like, oh, what does this cover? Like I like because you know YFS has a list of it on their on their website, but like you, like when the fee is taken from you, and that's like kind of the first time you say it, that doesn't like tell like like here's a link to all the things you're entitled to. Um, which, you know, people may not investigate further because I think like, especially in the like rush of university, you're like, okay, I'll just like tamp it down. And like, I don't have time to like explore all of this. Um, but even not the insurance stuff, people don't know about a lot of like free mental health services that are available to them. I, I work at kids help phone and like, there are a lot of resources that we share to people about like, you know, mental health supports and things we can give them apps and such like. And I think that that might not be abundantly clear to everyone that like these things exist and especially at a university level, like they're for you, like that kind of thing. So, and I think that's just because like that information isn't, we might hear about it from here and there, like you can't see my hands, but like from kind of all over the place, but we don't process it because, you know, you don't, it's just like you're busy and like it's not all in one place and I don't know. And that's just kind of the nature of it right now. So like knowing what you have available um, as compared to what you thought you have available also might provide people a little bit of hope. Like, oh, all right, now I can like kind of proceed with this. 
Yeah, I think there is something knowing that the institution you're involved with is support, like actually has put supports in place for you. Because there's a lot of like, um, uh, it's an intimidating big institution. It can feel very lonely and yeah. anonymous. And knowing that there are these places you can go for you specifically and for exactly what you're going through um, that you should avail yourself of. So thank you for uh, speaking to that here, uh, contributing to our <laughs> activist mission. Um, you mentioned Kids Help Phone. Now, yeah. I, I was curious, uh, how did you get involved with that and, and when? So um, I got involved with it last year, uh, around this exact time last year. I started training in May and I started doing this in June. Um, and I think it was, you know, a lot because COVID-19, I was like, what can I, like, what, at the time I was like, what can people, I know a lot of people that are struggling um, and it's like, what can they do from home to like kind of have a, an outlet of some mm -hmm. sort? And so I, I knew like the biggest like helpline was kids help phone. So I got involved with it. I've really enjoyed my time there. Uh, and so I was just kind of like, you know, I'm really interested in mental health. I think I'm interested, especially in light of COVID-19, I'm really interested in resources that we can access from home. And so that's kind of where I went from there. And it was just really interesting. I, I love people also, like I love interacting with people. And a lot of my extracurriculars are like more academically focused. Mm. And so I was just like, this one's for like, you know, having that I mean, again, it's like through a, an electronic platform, but like having that person-to-person -person contact in a way. Yeah. yeah, so. That's so great. Yeah, the end of an undergraduate degree can be a tough time <laughs> of transition. That's, that's something I've written. It sounds very written. It can be a tough time of transition, but it's true. I remember when I uh, graduated, I was, uh, yeah, it was, it's really scary kind of like, yeah, uh, yeah. I was, I was pretty scared, and I think it took me a while to sort of come to terms with that. Um, so I'm wondering how you're finding it. Now, we ta we talked a little bit before. I'm not sure if you mentioned it on the podcast, but you do have something that you'll be starting soon. Yeah, so I'm starting medical school in July. So I guess there's not a lot of time to think about the transition too yes. much. <laughs> um, in a and there won't be for a long time. Yeah, yeah. in a way that's good. Um, and like I have a lot going on in my personal life. Like I'm getting married like around the same oh, time. Congrats. So thank you. So it's a lot of, like it's interesting because it feels like a lot of change is happening at once mm. um so in that sense i i came back actually was walking back on campus i'm like wow i haven't like really been here that much like i've been here a few times but since since school ended and it's like weird to not be like be a student here anymore essentially um and i really liked york like it's gonna be weird especially i feel so kind of not unhinged that's not the right word <laughs> like unmoored um because it felt like I was here and then I was gone and mm. then I'm back here and now I'm gone again. Um, and so that made me feel like a little sad. Um, and I think, especially if you don't have a, like I think like thankfully have a plan going forward, but especially if you're not necessarily sure what you're doing going forward, it's like a, it's a really tough transition to go from all of this structure to kind of like no structure. Mm. Um, but I think social support is the best thing. Like you know, I think we have a lot of our identity is invested in school. Um, and, you know, once you're not a student, like, who are you? Because you spent like four years kind of like grinding this out and like mm -hmm. investing a lot of time and energy and yourself into school. And now like now that it's gone, like, who who are you? Um, and I think like having the social support to kind of like remind you like, oh, this is what I'm like when I'm fun. Like, <laughs> Right. Um, yeah. Because you spend so much time on the skill of being a student. Yeah. Which is, um, 
you know, you're only a student for, for so long and then you do other things. So, yeah. and, and those personal connections you have with your social support, with your family, those last, um, those, those, last, those right? last. And like, it reminds you who you are in your spare time. Like, mm-hmm. you know, bef- like kind of there, there might be this feeling of like, who was I before this all started? And it's like, if you invest in the people and you ha- people and you hang out with them and you're like, oh, like I'm this person's friend and I do this during my spare time and we hang out like in this place and you know, it's, it's, it's easier to kind of ground yourself back after losing that structure. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so you're starting at medical school. Yes. Do you know, I know it's in a, f- a while, I guess, that you start to specialize. Do you have any idea what every- the future holds? Or? <laughs> Everyone asks me this question. Um, it's surprising. Like every time they're like, so what do you want to do? And I'm like, I haven't stepped foot in medical school. It sounds a little silly to like say like, I'm going to be yeah. this thing um, when I haven't actually... <laughs> done anything yet um uh generally like i i'm interested in based on my undergraduate experience now this is all subject to change i don't mm-hmm. know what i might we're gonna hold you to this yeah <laughs> like come, come for me in three years and see what's what's happening um you know public like public health is something i'm really interested in it women's health is something i'm really interested in um family medicine there's a P- pcp crisis and that's like a primary care physician crisis. Uh, fam- people don't have a doctor. Yeah. One in five Ontarians don't have a doctor. Um, and that shortage is like across Canada, basically. Um, and so, you know, in terms of that, like also recognizing like, you know, seeing, seeing you know, a diverse kind of, re- like diverse types of people every day and every day is something different. That's really interesting. So those are the, the kind of areas that I yeah. that I that I'm interested in. They might all mesh together at some point. They may not. I don't know. <laughs> and I also might change my mind completely. But you'll find out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the only thing that's certain. Yeah. So I, yeah, that's it's it's interesting and it's yeah. exciting. But yeah. Yeah. Very and soon. Very so soon. soon. That takes us to the end of my questions. Um, ben, I was wondering if you had any questions or thoughts as you were listening in. I just um, you had this uh, this anecdote about speaking to someone about your uh, your research project, and how you kind of had to sort of assert that you you don't actually know. Like you know, someone had said you know a basic assumption, and you were kind of like, well, we don't actually know. Um, I'm just interested in that. Do you think doing research gives you, uh, I guess, more of a skeptical view of the world in general? Or were you already kind of there? <laughs> <laughs> I I think so. It has given me a bit more skeptical, I, a critical <laughs> lens. Um, I think I, I've i really gotten a little bit skeptical of like when media publishes like, oh, this study says that this is good for you. And it's like, okay, but there are probably, there need to be like a bunch of studies that you need to do in order to actually establish that this is like good. And like, I have like somewhat of an issue with the way media portrays research because they'll like put out a study, like they'll like publish a study publicize a study and they'll be like well this means that alcohol is great for you and it's like well well let's not like that's like the great thing about studies is it's like one step in a really long research project um and so it would be like if you were like looking at a statue and like you finish the face and the face is like really important and it's really detailed and it's really interesting but you kind of zoom out and like the rest of the body hasn't been shaped yet and it's like on its own it it can kind of stand when you look at it on its own but it's you need like full perspective to run, understand like well this is a really important part it's not the only part right that's a beautiful metaphor <laughs> for scientific <laughs> literacy that's good um yeah i think that's it thank you thank you for having me on thanks so much
Um, so just final segment of the show. It's our sort of bite-sized lightning round inside the actor studio moment. Um, so we just ask you to answer the following questions, five seconds for each question, and feel free to be, you know, be as poetic or literal or as confident or unsure as, as you like. So I'm going to get the timer going. Um, we tried this at 10 seconds in our last recording and it was too long. So now we're doing five <laughs> seconds and then, you know, we'll just see what really happens in the future. The <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so question one, how did you get here? By car. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, where do you? Where, uh, why do you do the work you do? Uh, so that I can get a better understanding. Oh, <laughs> better understanding. Okay. Uh, where will you go from here? Home. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Thank you. That thank was you great. So much. Honestly, thank you so much for. Um, for joining us. Thank and... you for asking me on. I I know it was like a general sign up, but uh, I re like I I appreciated all the meetings we had like as a research team and like like the feedback we give each other. So I was like, this will probably be like that. Yeah, um, I, I hope so. I, I yeah. hope you had a good time. And thanks as always to Ben Ben Stevenson. Ben. <laughs> um, I'm Mike Ruderman, and this has been the mock up. We'll see you next time. Hello.